Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Angel Salucci. Angel has spent over 40 years working in the healthcare system. Having started out as a candy striper at the age of 13, she eventually went on to become a registered nurse and ultimately a family nurse practitioner. In 2015, she acquired a medical fraud investigation company that assists insurance carriers to review medical bills and records for evidence of erroneous charges and blatant fraud. While reviewing the company's data, Angel was shocked to learn that not only was her company instrumental in helping their clients to uncover over $30 million in medically unnecessary treatment and billing errors, but the data also revealed that roughly 93% of the medical bills that they reviewed contained errors. It was at that moment that Angel knew she needed to do more. As a nurse first, Angel knew she needed to let the consumers of healthcare know this was happening and how they could protect themselves. Now she's on a mission to educate, equip, and empower everyone to become better consumers of healthcare by providing the tools and resources needed to protect ourselves from the medical fraud, waste, and abuse that currently plague our healthcare system. In the episode, Angel explains the four most common billing errors how we can approach medical appointments and bills to be sure we're charged correctly, her four-step systematic Dove approach for tracking expenses, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated, expensive, conventional wines can give me headaches and make me feel gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Angel. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson certified nutrition coach and your host of the health investment podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week I interview experts and share no nonsense research backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Angel. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hello, Brooke. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to Podmatch for connecting us. For people who are listening, Podmatch is... Uh, something you can use as a podcaster or a podcast guest to connect with 
other shows to do interviews or have people on. Um, and I don't think I would have ever thought to interview somebody about this topic of medical fraud had it not been for Podmatch saying this could be a good match for your podcast. So very, very excited about this. I have not had a guest on to talk about this yet. Um, and I would love if you could start by telling us a bit about your background. I know you were originally a family nurse practitioner. So what led you to transition into medical fraud investigator? Yeah. Who knew something like that even existed, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I've spent my whole life in healthcare. Actually, I was a nurse most of my career and then family nurse practitioner. And then... Um, Eight years ago, we relocated from the Philadelphia area down to Nashville, and I just wanted to Nashville, Tennessee, and I just wanted to do something different, something where I could have a bigger impact. Um, and I met a woman who was a nurse retiring, and she had a medical fraud investigation company that she was looking to pass off to another nurse. And like I said, I had no idea this world existed, um, <clears throat> but apparently her company had been around for 20 years. And our clients were always um, insurance carriers and third-party adjusters and attorneys. And what we would do is investigate for insurance fraud, billing errors, overbilling, double billing, all the typical errors that we see. We were reviewing their medical records for them um, in order to give them the data to then negotiate the bills down on their behalf. So it was... it's. A great business um, and I enjoyed it. But then one day, I mean, it just, it happened like a switch. One day I was looking at our data and now at this point I had the company for uh, six years. So 26 years worth of data. I looked at it all and I realized that over that time we had saved our clients, again, insurance carriers and third-party adjusters, over $30 million dollars. In wow. Yeah, in billing errors, medically unnecessary treatment, all of that stuff. And then what made it worse is I also learned that out of all the records, thousands of records that we've reviewed over the years, nine out of 10 of the records that we reviewed contained some type of billing error and or medically unnecessary treatment. So at first I was like, you know, yeah, yes, we're doing a good job for our clients. But then I got really mad and I was like, wait a minute. We're saving the insurance carriers all this money, which is going into their already deep pockets. And here I spent most of my career in healthcare and I didn't even know this was existing. And I didn't know how to even read my own medical bill, let alone what to do with it afterwards. So I thought, no, people need to know how to do this. So <clears throat> I've now pivoted. And we are no longer serving insurance carriers or corporate America. We are now only focused on helping consumers of healthcare to basically do exactly what we did for the insurance carriers. Because my thought was, you know, our premiums are going up. We are paying a lot for out-of-pocket deductibles. We're paying a lot, a lot of money for prescriptions and all of this kind of stuff on our end. So, and yet the insurance carriers and the hospitals and everybody else are getting richer and richer and richer off of us. So I'm like, wait a minute, people need to know how to do this for themselves. So 
that's how I got into it. I didn't even know it existed prior to eight years ago. Um, and now that's my mission, just to teach people that it is out there, the direct impact it's having on you and what you can do about it. Wow. So you said nine out of 10 bills had some type of error on them. So yes. this is very common. Yes, very common. And it could be, and you know, the more, so here I was in this isolated little bubble of reviewing the bills for our clients. And all of a sudden I had this like, wait a minute, I've never read a bill. I just assume that when I get a bill in the mail, it's correct. And I have to pay it. No questions asked. And then the more people I started talking to, they started reading their medical bills. And then they're all coming back to me saying that, yeah, I reviewed my bill and I saved this much money. And, oh, I reviewed my bill for this. And I have some examples if you want, I can give to you. Um, the simplest of things that even if your name or address or date of birth is incorrect, that could kick back your claim and not have your insurance carrier cover it. That's the simplest of things. But a lot of bills that we were looking at, they were being billed for services that were not even delivered. Like, yeah. So, I mean, do you want me to tell you about the four most common things that we saw? I mean, I think that would really help your audience. Yes. Okay. And I'll give you an example of each one because I love examples. I think it really helps to crystallize things and you me can, too. yeah. So the first one is, oh, and let me just back up, Brooke, this, um, healthcare fraud in our country has a direct impact on each and every one of us because a, if the impact is, um, if the assault is done to the Medicare or Medicaid system, well, we are paying for that system through our FICA taxes. And it cost our country over $80 billion every year. That's how much is lost every year to medical fraud, waste, and abuse. Like it is huge. And again, I don't think we as consumers, myself included, even know that this exists. So I was really happy when yeah. you said you've never had anybody on your show talk about this before. Cause I'm like, yeah, it, it's never been talked about before. <laughs> Well, and even before you get into the four most common things, so I'm like you and I'm sure I'm like most people and I just kind of assume if I'm getting a bill that it is correct um, and I don't really know what I'm looking for, but would you say the majority of the fraud, is it intentional or it's just kind of a careless mistake on the side of the hospital or the practitioner I mean, why, why is this such a huge number? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I think that there, and, and let me preface this, and I'm glad you brought that up because I never want anybody to distrust their healthcare system or their providers. That is not what I want. What I want is for people to be more um, educated and equipped and empowered consumers of healthcare so that we know when we are in the provider's office and they recommend a medication that we say, well, is that the best one for me? And is that the best price for me or a procedure? Well, do I need to have that done? And is that surgery center in my network? Like, I just want to have better, uh, more collaborative relationships with your facilities and your providers. Now, that being said, yeah, there's a lot of times where um, it could be just a simple human error that a mistake would happen. But again, we wouldn't know that unless we know how to have this kind of dialogue and how to review our medical bills. But then there is a huge market of um, intentional, I call them the ethically challenged of our society, who hmm. are intentionally trying to take advantage of us 
at our weakest moments. And, you know, if whenever we need usually a provider or especially, you know, an ER visit, we are not, we need to be prepared before that situation ever happens so that we do know the kind of questions and all that kind of stuff to ask. Otherwise, we are going to be taken advantage of when we are at our weakest or when we are down. And there are people who will take advantage of it. Um, There are hospital systems who have been uh, accused of billions of dollars of medical fraud, waste, and abuse. There are some unethical providers out there. Um, And then also, this is crazy, Brooke, but there's actually organized crime rings out there who are trying to get a hold of your healthcare information. And a classic example of that is if we have elderly parents or grandparents who are getting telemarketer calls and you know saying, hey, your doctor approved for you to get a free back brace because you have back pain or a knee brace because you have knee pain. Well, what 80-year-old person doesn't have knee pain? So of course they're going to say yes. And then the person on the other line says, great, just give me your uh, Medicare number and we'll take care of it and we'll ship it right to you. Well, that's, that's a crime ring. They're actual like really bad people. They're not even in healthcare. And now you're going to get what they, there was actually um, a case where this happened. And I can't remember the total. I think they ended up stealing like, oh, don't quote me, but I think it was like $14 million from the Medicare system. But they promised these people that they would get a, a customizable high-end knee brace that cost um, $1,000, but they only got a $10 knee brace that you could get at a big box store. But mm-hmm. they billed Medicare for $999 for every single uh, knee brace because that's just below the red flag limit of $1,000, which is what Medicare wow. goes, wait a minute, $1,000, what's that for? Yeah, so... To answer your question, sometimes it can be basic human error. And that's why I always say never kill the messenger when you first go at them and you question them, you know, come at it that, hey, this is probably a mistake. Can we look into this more? But then when you realize that, no, this isn't a mistake, this is intentional, this is blatant. Well, then that's when you want to play a little bit more hardball or even go to the authorities with what you have found. Wow. Okay. So, all right. So the four most common things to look for on your bills with examples would be so great. So the first thing would be billing for services not delivered. And what that means is that when you look at your bill, you're going to see that you're charged for something that you didn't get. So very, very simple. And an example of this, um, my mother had received a bill for an office visit for a specialist. And it was $600. And at first she didn't think anything about it because she's got really good insurance and plus she's on Medicare. So she just thought, well, they'll pay for it, which is what a lot of us do. We don't even question our bills. We just assume, oh, it must be right. And thank, you know, thankfully the insurance carrier is going to pay for it. Well, then she started thinking about it and the bill kept festering in her mind. So then she went back and looked at it and realized she wasn't even in the state on the date that that office visit was being charged for. She lives in Pennsylvania. They were at their house in Florida. She wasn't even there. So what did she do? She called uh, her Medicare representative and said, hey, I was billed for this office visit, blah, blah, blah. And the woman on the other line went, oh my gosh, you just identified fraud. Like, how did you know to do that? (laughs) So then I'm like, you darn well better have told her your daughter taught you how to do that. (laughs) Give me some credit. But um, so that's an example of one thing. And then another example, um, an aunt of mine, I was trying, she's older, she's in her mid eighties. And I was trying to explain to her what I do for a living. And, you know, she's kind of dismissive. She's like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And I'm like, 
you really understand what I'm saying? And she said, well, yeah, it's like every time I go to the doctors every month, he um, orders an EK, I, he bills me for an EKG, <clears throat> which, you know, monitors the heart rhythm and all. Excuse me. So I said, well, that's good. You're in your mid eighties and he's checking your heart every month. And she says, oh no, honey, he never does an EKG. He only does it once a year. I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh. Yeah. So this happens all the time. And profession, you know, when we were doing this for our insurance carriers, we saw that all the time that clients were being billed for services that were not even delivered. Yeah. So that's, that's a big one. Um, the next one is, uh, being double billed for something. Now I say double, but it could be any quantity. And a good example of this is that we were reviewing medical records for a friend of mine who had a same day procedure. I knew exactly what he had done. I knew what he was, you know, had gone through. It was at a surgery center. And when we were reviewing his medical bills, I saw that he was billed. Wait, let me tell you what happened. So I call him first and I said, Hey, how many IVs did you receive? Cause I know he should have only had one. I said, how many IVs did you get? And he said, one, why? I said, okay. Cause you were billed for six. Whoa. Yes. So it doesn't have to be doubled. It's more than one, but it sounds better when I say double billing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's so could it have been a simple human error or could it have been blatant fraud? I don't know. How close is the one and the six on the keyboard? I don't know. But you got to question those kinds of things. And then, of course, if you question them and <clears throat> they and it was fraud, they'll realize you just question them and they'll change it, you know, so. But if it's a repeat offender and this is happening more than once, every time you go to a provider, there's errors, errors, errors. Two things are going to happen. Number one, every time you call it to their attention, they're now going to know, holy crap, she's reading her bills. We need to be sharp on this one. Or number two, you're going to report them to the authorities. Either way, it's, you know, correcting a problem. Um, the third most common type of billing errors that we saw was upcoding. <clears throat> and this is when you are billed for something at a higher acuity level or more serious than what you actually receive. So an example of that would be very basic. Let's say you went to see your provider for a sore throat, but when you got your bill, you see that you were billed for a pneumonia visit. Higher acuity, um, more intense, more serious, more diagnostic skills needed, so therefore that is called upcoding. Um, another example of this would be if you went to see your provider, but when you were there, you saw the physician's assistant. And when you got your bill, you see that you were billed for seeing the physician instead of the physician's assistant. That's upcoding. Does that make sense? Because you're being billed yeah. for a higher level. And yeah. then <clears throat> two examples of this was... Um, my a friend of mine, she, her husband hurt his ankle, broke his ankle, something like that, but he needed to have an ambulance transport to the hospital. When she got her bill, she was reading it. And a lot of times your best resource is Dr. Google, because she didn't know what did ALS transport mean. So she looked it up. ALS means advanced life support, meaning that there was a paramedic on board. She didn't have that. She had, he had BLS, basic life support, meaning there was no paramedic on board. 
So she called the ambulance company and said, hey, there was no paramedic on board with my husband, and yet you're billing me as having ALS. They said, oh, our apologies, we'll correct it. She saved her family $1,000 just by making that one phone call. Yikes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. These are the kinds of things that happen. And then the last one for upcoding is actually involves my daughter. Boy, my family and friends are great for examples. (laughs) But Um, I mean, it just shows how widespread this is. If you can find these examples just... Within your family and friends. So easily. Exactly. And so many people say to me, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one that this was the only, uh, that I was finding errors in my bill. And I'm like, nope, it happens all the time. But, um, my daughter had her wisdom teeth taken out just recently. Um, and she knew that her provider, she signed a paper saying that the provider, the oral surgeon was going to do the anesthesia for her. Well, then when she got her bill, she got a bill for like $2,500. And she's like, well, that seems outrageous. And that's what I want people to know too, that even if you don't know what you're being billed for and you get a bill for something and it seems a lot like really extreme, then you want to ask them for an itemized bill, which we can get into that. So my daughter did that. She requested an itemized bill and saw that she was billed for having an anesthesiologist give the anesthesia, not just her provider. So she called the office and she said, hey, I'm being billed as an anesthesiologist giving me my anesthesia for this procedure. And I know for a fact, I signed a paper that the dentist gave it to me. And they said, oh, our apologies, we'll fix it. She went from $2,500, Brooke, to $200. Whoa. <laughs> That's, yeah. Like all these little things add up. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Is that, so it's upcoding double charging. Yes. So charge for the wrong, something you didn't receive. And then what's the fourth one? So the fourth one is called unbundling. And Uh this one can be a little trickier to identify. Um, but a way I like to describe it, I think it, you know, really crystallizes it is imagine if you went to a fast food restaurant and you ordered a what do they call them? Value meals. And you say, I'll have the number two value meal. And the girl behind the counter says, okay, that'll be $72. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Why? Because they are charging you for the cup, the lid, the straw, the ice, the bun, the pickle, the burger, all of that. They're parsing it out and charging you for every item. So how I um, tell people to look for something like this is if you knew that you had blood work done And let's say your provider ordered um, a chem panel, anything that says panel, or um, a CBC, which has a bunch of tests in it. But instead of charging you for that one test, you see you have a whole litany of charges, which means they're breaking out every... So instead of on a chem panel, just ordering one test, they're ordering your potassium, your sodium, your magnesium, you're getting multiple charges. And if you think it looks like unbundling, and you have insurance, I would just call your insurance carrier and say to them, hey, could you look at this bill? It seems to me like it's unbundling and they'll be able to verify it for you. If you don't have insurance, then you could just call the provider or the lab itself and say, hey, I think this is, these should have all been under one price, but it looks like I've been charged multiple times. Was there an error on your part? That kind of thing. So again, don't kill the messenger the first time you interact with them. Um, Oh, and a good example of that, and this is another thing, Brooke, I I would like to share with your audience, is whenever you're getting prescription pills at a pharmacy, um, you could also 
think about this when you're getting like the mail order ones, the three month supply from the mail order things. But anytime you go to a local pharmacy, as soon as you get home with your pills, you want to count every single one of them because there is such a thing too as <clears throat> pharmacy fraud. And pharmacy fraud means, and this would be under billing for things you did not receive, would be if you ordered a 90 day supply of uh, medication, but then when you count them, you get less than 90. And why they would want to do that is because if they skim off the top, especially for a large number that you, they don't think you're going to notice, they keep that in their inventory, but yet they build you for the total amount. And this happened to me twice. Really? It had, so yeah. then how do you, do you just take a picture or something and go right back? Or do they just trust that you, that you're telling them the truth? Um, my pharmacy did. Um, it was actually okay. a CVS and I went, I got a 90 day supply. I came home and the first time there was only 80. So again, don't kill the messenger. I went back. I said to the pharmacist, Hey, you know, I, I just picked these up and I was counting them. And I think you shorted me 10 by mistake, by accident. Could I just have the other 10 pills? And they're like, Oh my gosh, we're so sorry. Yes, here you go. Then it happened three months later. And that time, I believe I had 82 that time. I didn't have the full 90. So I went back and I said, guys, this is the second time that this has happened. And I really don't want it to happen again. So could we like, and of course I'm smiling and smirking and trying to be funny about it. But I just told them, holy cow, this lady's counting her pills. We need to be on point for that. You know, so it's just awareness. And if just us saying something really, really nice deters people from committing errors, intentional or otherwise, well, I think that's going to help move the needle in a different direction. Is it always good to request an itemized bill, even if you think your bill is correct? Because you said sometimes they're not itemized. So should you just always, should that be your default? Oh, yes. You ne they never want to give you an itemized bill because if they give you an itemized bill, you're going to be able to see everything you did or didn't receive. So normally when you get, um, and especially if you have insurance or even more so if you don't have insurance, I would request an itemized bill because normally what they do is they lump it together and they'll say labs or they'll say radiology and with one price. Well, an example of that I give is if you go grocery shopping for Thanksgiving dinner and you check out and the grocer says, oh, you spent, you know, $100 on meat, $100 on vegetables, you know, we would never accept that. We get that huge grocery list of everything, you know, receipt of everything we paid. Well, that's what we should get from our medical bills, we should request an itemized bill so that we would be able to identify what we received, what we didn't receive, what the individual charges are and all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing that I also tell people is you never wanna request an itemized bill over the phone for two reasons. Number one, you don't have any record of that phone call. So, you know, and you wanna keep track of everything. And the other reason is because what I tell people to do is write a letter requesting an itemized bill and send it return receipt requested because now you have a record of requesting your itemized bills and by law they have to respond to any written they re request that they get within 30 days so, mm. so and i'm sorry mm -hmm. well i i just don't think i know enough about bills which is probably really bad but who do you send this letter to you send it to your insurance company no whoever generated the bill so whoever sent oh, you the bill oh okay mm -hmm. Okay. So send it to, if you are in the hospital, you send it to the hospital. Right. If 
Yes. Oh my gosh, Brooke. I think we're going to need to do three more podcasts between you and I, because that's the other thing, (laughs) you know, when people get a bill from their hospital and then like six months later, they get a bill from a physician and six months later, they get one from a lab. We need to start realizing and looking at hospitals as just brick and mortar. All you're paying for when you get a bill from a hospital is it's almost like a hotel bill. You're only getting a bill for the bed and for the services, the nursing services and the cleaning people and all that kind of stuff. That's so almost hotels are really, really expensive. I mean, hospitals are really, really expensive hotels. Everybody else that you encounter, have an encounter with while you're in the hospital, you're going to get a bill from them as well. So if you get a bill from your hospital, yes, you would reach out to their billing department and request an itemized bill. If for that same incident um, encounter, you get a bill from a physician or radiology or a lab or anybody else, you also would want to request an itemized bill from them as well. Mm, Okay. Makes sense? This is all, yeah, this is really fascinating to me. Um, I just, in February, I tripped down a couple of stairs and broke my leg really bad. And then I needed surgery. It was this whole thing. Um, So I had a lot of medical bills coming in. But I didn't realize it at the time, but I, well, I don't even think it was necessarily fraud, but for example, the, we got a bill for the ambulance Mm -hmm. that was several thousand dollars and shocking. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh my gosh, I thought our insurance would have covered this. Does our insurance not cover an ambulance bill? So then I looked up our explanation of benefits and it said it did. So then I talked to the insurance company and submitted that bill to them. And then it ended up being $150. Poof, but see that? Yeah, I just would have, I mean, I don't think that was fraud. It was just me getting a bill and it was so exorbitant that I thought, is this right? And it just kind of triggered something in me to look into it more. But typically I feel like when I get bills, I just kind of trust and so thank God I didn't trust that I was supposed to pay. I mean, I think it was something like three to $5,000. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank God I didn't trust that. And I looked into it more and ended up only paying one fifty. Mm-hmm. or uh, I was admitted to a hospital in San Francisco. And then the doctors had this big conversation with me and said, we want to discharge you for a few hours and have you go to your more local hospital in Oakland um, so that you can get surgery there and just have all your follow-ups closer to home. Um, we have Kaiser. So I think it kind of matters more if you have Kaiser as a special type of insurance that's mostly in California, I think. Okay. Um, so we did that, but then I was double charged for hospital admittance and they never said me leaving. I was going to be recharged to be admitted to a new hospital. They kind of said I had to leave. So I called and talked to somebody really nicely. And she said, oh, yeah, if the doctors advise you to leave, you shouldn't have been charged twice for being admitted to a hospital. But just like crazy stuff like that of, first of all, it's a pain, right, to have to take time out of your day to call and wait on hold to talk to somebody. Right at your insurance. And so it was an annoying thing to go through with these bills. Um, And now I'm wondering, maybe I even missed other things. But in the end, we ended up saving thousands of dollars just by me making a couple phone calls. Um, But yeah, I feel like 
I don't know. I think I am very trusting and I feel like I usually just kind of trust things and pay things. And now after this conversation, I'm definitely not going to do that. Right. And, and, you know, we're taught to trust, you know, that the healthcare, and I think initially the healthcare system did have our best interest in heart, but I think that, you know, I think the C, some of the CEOs and I never want to be, um, I guess sometimes I have to draw a hard line. I was going to say, I want to be nice. I don't want to make anybody mad. But I think CEOs, shareholders, um, hospital execs, I think they're more focused on uh, profits than patients. And as evidenced by, I did the numbers one time, the salary for an entire year for a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and a physician combined is less than what these hospital CEOs make in one day. And yet they're telling our providers what they can do. Your provider who only spends 10 minutes with you, that's because he's told that's all they can spend with you. So why do we have these people in their ivory towers who have bodyguards by the name of lobbyists in Washington who are fighting to make sure that the system stays the way it is? They're the ones dictating to our providers how much time they get to spend with us. Um, Our poor nurses are having to work in unsafe conditions um, for very little money and with something that's called mandatory overtime. I always had to do mandatory overtime. Do you think a CEO has ever done mandatory overtime? I don't think so. So I just feel like I, I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt, which is why I'm coming at it kindly. And I'm glad you said that you spoke to somebody really nice on the phone because people don't want to hurt or sue people that are nice to them. And they always want to help people who are nice to them. So I want to enter into conversations with the people up top to say, hey, look, we're, we're aware that this is happening. We're not going to let it happen anymore because quite frankly, the way our healthcare system now is designed, very, very profitable for shareholders and CEOs, that brook is having a direct impact on our financial legacies. Like you could do everything right to save for your future, for your family, but we are all one major illness away from bankruptcy. In fact, 62% of all personal bankruptcies are related to medical expenses. Man, wow. that's, that's just not right. <laughs> hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. Right, and it's something you don't think about unless you go through some huge medical ordeal like I just did, and then all the bills are coming in. And so you start thinking about it a lot more. Um, But, you know, some people have continual medical issues and they're getting billed all the time. And I would imagine 
you hit a point where it is so much extra effort to call and look into things or send the mail, as you said, to request an itemized bill. I mean, that takes a lot of effort. And like you said, you're at your weakest moment and you don't necessarily have the time or energy to be doing all these things. I mean, it's just really unfortunate. It's it's sad. It really is sad. And, you know, you had said you didn't even earlier, you said you didn't even know about this or how to do this. Like I said, I was in healthcare my whole life. My ex-husband's in healthcare. My daughter's in healthcare. All my, most of my family's in healthcare and nobody knew this was existing. And it's funny. I had lunch. I was sitting next to a trauma surgeon from Vanderbilt university. He asked what I did. I told him, and he's like, I just pay my medical bills. I never thought there would be errors (laughs) in them. And I'm like, I know. So, but I think also the reason I am so passionate about this, A, because I found out about this and I don't think anybody else knows about this or certainly nobody, people know about it, but nobody's teaching the consumers about this. But also when I was an NP up in Pennsylvania, it was not a wealthy area that I worked in and people were working two or three jobs Uh, people were rationing their insulin because they can't afford their medical bills. And people are having to make life-saving decisions like, can I afford my medicine this month or uh, I got to put food on the table? And then it's out the window trying to save for your future and your family's future because of medical. While these people get to live, you know, the higher ups get to live these extravagant lifestyles that we will never be able to do that. And and here's the other thing. I don't want to fault them for making a good living, but don't do it on the backs of the people that the system was designed to serve. And as a nurse, I am hell bent on protecting patients and making sure that they become educated consumers of healthcare because we're in the driver's seat, but they don't want us Mm -hmm. to think that we have more power than we realize and certainly more than they have ever led us to believe. We just got to stand in that step in our voice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, You mentioned quickly when you were talking earlier of things to know before you go to the ER. What should we know before, or just in in case, right? What should we know before we're ever admitted to the ER? Um, Always know, and I think you alluded to this too when you read your EOB, you always want to know, and I suggest to people, write it down, especially if you travel a lot. If you're bi-coastal or you travel like, you know, to the shore, to Philadelphia, I mean, to Florida or anything like that, wherever you're going to go away when you travel, make sure you look and see who is in network and who is not in network. Hmm. That's the most important thing. And really that's the only thing you can do if it's an emergency thing is just make sure that you go to the hospital that is within network. And then you also want to ask anybody that comes in to treat you, are you in my network? And a lot of times they're not There's not much we can do about that right now, but a lot of times hospitals will outsource their ERs to an outside uh, physicians group to run the ER. But Brooke, that actually happened to me. Uh, I had to go to the ER for something. I went to the hospital that was in my network and then I got a bill saying that the physician was not in network. So I called the physicians group and I said, I never gave permission to be treated by somebody not in my network. I went to a hospital that was in my network and I made the assumption because I wasn't told otherwise that everybody was going to be in my network. And guess what? They had to expunge the bill because Mm. you never told me you weren't in my network. Now, granted, I wasn't in a life-threatening situation. If you're having a massive heart attack and they tell you, well, we're not in your network, just please fix me and I'll fight with you later (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) um, And the other thing, which I did not like that they did, 
and I don't encourage lying ever, 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 but they came into my room and I've heard this numerous times where they immediately want a credit card from you as they're checking you in before you even see a provider. And I told a mini lie and I said, I don't use credit cards. And if you follow the Dave Ramsey program, you know, you're not supposed to use credit cards. So I just said, I'm sorry, I don't use credit cards. Y'all have to bill me. And they did. And then that's when I saw that I was billed out of network versus it just going on my credit card. You know, it, it kind of gave me more control to evaluate the situation afterwards. And then that's the other thing. If somebody gets um, a bill from a physician or a provider, don't ever, ever, ever put it on a credit card. Um, a, because that's going to wreak havoc on your credit score. And B, why should you pay the interest? Instead, you want to ask whoever generated the bill, the hospital, the provider, ambulance, whoever, um, what is your interest-free payment plan? And then you make sure that you find an, a number that you can afford. Like if they say, okay, they put you on a payment plan and it's $500 a month, you still got to eat and you still got to pay your bills. So then you can say to them, I can't afford $500 a month, but I can afford $100 a month. <clears throat> so whatever you have to do, negotiate to get a payment plan that fits your lifestyle. They may, if you're trying to go really, really low ball, they may ask you for a financial statement or whatever to show them what you have access to financially. And that's fine. Be forthright. Let them know, look, this, this is my financial situation. I can't afford that amount, but this is what I am able to do. And they always will work with you. And all of them have, for the most part, and for the most part, most of them have uh, interest-free payment plans. They just don't want to tell you about it. Oh, okay. So what about, I mentioned I'm at Kaiser, but even when I had different insurance, you'd show up and they'd say, here's your copay. So is that okay to just pay upfront on a credit card when you show up to the office, the copay? Oh, the office. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Oh, okay. And with regards to that, always keep track of mm -hmm. what you are paying for co-pays and what the doctor will be billing the visit as, because then when your bills do come in, you will be able to cross-reference that to make sure that you indeed, that they're not charging you for a copay when you've already paid it, or they're not billing you for a service different than what they told you. Yeah, that actually happened to me too. Um, just thinking about co-pays where we always, when I would go to the hospital for every follow-up, would pay the $30 copay or whatever. And then I got one in the mail and I said, that's so weird. And I talked to my husband and I said, didn't we pay every time up front? And he said, yeah. And then I called and they were trying to charge me for a day. And we already had on our credit card statement that exact day we paid the $30. See that? So, Gosh, yeah. you're, you're my star student. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, and I didn't even know it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess maybe I am more skeptical of bills than I thought I was. But um, especially, I think, maybe less so if I'm just going to the doctor at random. But when something big happens and you're getting a ton of bills and you're putting out all this money all at once, yeah. I think you start to get a little more skeptical or just make sure, am I paying something for a service that I actually got? Am I not being double charged? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What is your Dove system that you created? I'm very interested by this. Is Dove an acronym? It is. And I am oh, just okay. so, so what we would do for the carriers, uh, it's, the, it's our proprietary system. And I just was thinking about people and what do we want? We want control. We want peace of mind. We want all of this kind of stuff. So the Dove system has been created just for the consumers and it stands for document organize, verify, and engage. 
Those are the four most important things. And it consists of a toolkit, which uh, is designed to have you keep track of every medical appointment, um, your providers, what your insurance carrier does and doesn't pay, um, uh, pharmacy, um, ancillary services like labs, all that kind of stuff. And it also includes templates for when you need to correspond with your provider to request medical records, to request um, uh, itemized bill. And then the other part of the Dove system is a medical appointment journal where it teaches you how to take SOAP notes the same way that your provider and healthcare professionals do. And SOAP notes stand for subjective objective assessment and plan. Subjective is everything you say, S-S, say. <laughs> and objective is what your physician or nurse practitioner observed. Assessment is their diagnosis and plan is what you're supposed to do afterwards. So the journal is designed to take with you to your appointments. Prior to going, you're going to write down, this is what I'm seeing them for on this date. Um, these are my system, symptoms. This is what I've done to try and treat it before. Did I take Tylenol? Did I take Advil? Did I put a Band-Aid on it? Whatever. Objective is what they say is your issue and your diagnosis. And then how many times do we leave the doctor's office and we're like, wait, what did they tell me to do? Well, that's what you yeah. write down in the plan. And then there's also a spot to write down your copay, how much you paid, and what the code that they're going to bill it at, which you can ask as you're leaving. So mm. the whole system, Dove system, like I said, document, it is so important that we begin documenting everything that occurs from the moment we step foot into an office or a hospital all the way through until that bill has been paid in full. And excuse me, that's what the journal is designed to help you do. And then also at the end, you want to make sure if the bill has been paid for, you want to make sure that you hold on to that for three to four years. I hold everything for three years because at any point in time, somebody can come back and try and bill you again for a service. But if you don't have it documented that you already paid the bill, like you said, just now with your copay, that's why you want to document absolutely everything. Um, and plus, I think that they said, there's a saying that says, um, the problem with keeping mental notes, oh, I'll remember that kind of thing. The problem with keeping mental notes is that the ink fades very quickly. <laughs> so mm. I highly encourage people document everything that occurs because also there's a saying with the medical community that if it's not documented, it's not done. So if you need to question somebody and you don't have it documented, as to what transpired, it is your word against theirs or their word against yours kind of thing. Then O stands for organizing. And rather than just having your medical bills, especially like you mentioned, somebody who has like a chronic disease or something like that, and you just have stuff all over the place, you, that doesn't give you a sense of order or control. You want to have one place that has your insurance, your EOB, your provider, your medical appointment calendar, everything in one location. And just that alone is going to help us feel and be more in control of our medical expenses. Um, the V stands for verify. And that's everything we talked about so far today. It is reviewing your EOBs, if you have insurance, your explanation of benefits, or your bills, and you're looking for the four most common types of billing fraud, you are then verifying that what the bill says is actually what you have documented as occurring on that day, back in step one, you want to verify that everything is correct and everything is accurate. Now the E comes in, engage, because if you review everything and everything is accurate and the fees seem reasonable, then you're going to just pay the bill. 
If you can't afford to pay the bill, that's when you're going to ask for an interest-free payment plan. But mm. on the flip side, if you verify and you find errors or questionable things, or you feel that um, any of the errors that we just talked about, that's when you're then going to want to engage with whoever sent you the bill. Is it the hospital? Is it the provider? Is it the ambulance? And then you're going to determine, do I need my medical records? Do I need to see an itemized bill? Do I need to uh, question them and tell them that they billed me for a service I didn't get? Do I need to tell them that they upcoded me and charged me for something that I didn't get? Any of that kind of stuff. And then part of the Dove system, I also have templates to help you engage with them. Now, granted, the Dove system, yes, I, I have created a toolkit and a journal to do that, but you don't need those tools. I mean, they're very, very helpful. I don't want to not tell you to get them, but this is all a matter of thinking differently about our healthcare, that we have a right to document everything. We have a right to verify and to question and to then challenge everything because this is our health and our wealth. And the one thing I think people don't realize is that it doesn't matter what my level of education is. If you're my patient, you're the smartest person in the room because A, yeah. it's your body and B, nobody has more to lose or to gain than you do. So just thinking differently, like, wait a minute, I can ask as many questions as I want. And that's something I always tell people, you don't have to pay for anything until you understand and agree with absolutely everything. And you do that by asking lots and lots of questions. Mm -hmm. It just seems like the uh, shift here is just become really, uh, what would you say? Like your own advocate, like advocate for yourself and understand, like you said, you don't have to pay for something unless you understand it. And you can ask hundreds of questions. Right, exactly. And I love that you said that about advocating for yourself because people have said to me, well, the same way you did it for insurance carriers, why don't you just do it for us? And we can do it for you. We can review your medical bills. We can do all of that. But in my mind, it's that old saying about teach a man to fish. Right. You know, I'm not in the doctor's office with you. I am not in the hospital with you. I am I want you to feel empowered to be able to confidently navigate your healthcare system. Again, not to not trust them, but just to be aware and to realize how much say and how much control you have. But if you need me, we are here, but me doing it for you does not help you in the moment. So yes, we, and there are lots of patient advocates out there as well. Great. You can utilize them, but I want to have, I want to know how to do it first. If I need to rely on somebody else to help me or to support me, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll get that afterwards, but you're the one in the room. Right. You're at the, well, what's that I, thing from Hamilton? You're, I'm going to be in the room when it happens. You're in the oh, room when the it room happens. Where it happens. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that. Well, one of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? <sighs> I love that question. And I love hearing how all of your other guests have answered that. Um, for me, the health investment means realizing that you are the CEO and the CFO of your body and realize that health investment is a long game. It's not overnight, same way it is with the you know stock investments and all that. And every decision, every choice, every action either adds value or depreciates your investment, which your ultimate investment is health. So as the CEO of our bodies, 
a good health investment means having your systems in place, meaning who's your provider, who's your choosing the right provider for you, choosing the right nutritionist for you. Um, Who's your, you just want to be aware that everything is, you have a system for everything. Are you eating healthy? Are you exercising? Are you taking care of your mental health? Are you sleeping? To me, those are all systems that CEOs have to make on a daily basis for their companies, how it's going to operate. How are you going to operate your body, your health? And then CFO, that's doing everything we talked about here. Like every penny goes towards your future financial legacy. So I feel like your health and your wealth depends on your health investment that you make into your company, which is your body. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes total sense. I like that idea of being the CEO and CFO of your body, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. But how often do we actually do that? I I love that. Uh, where can listeners follow and find you? Because I'm sure everybody's going to want to learn more. Oh, wonderful. Um, so my website, they can find me on my website and I am just now starting to get active again on Facebook. I do have a company Facebook page, um, but we can put links to that if that's okay with you. And then the other thing yeah. is, again, you don't need to have a system to start thinking differently like this, but I have created a Dove system. So maybe we could put a link to that in the show notes as well. And for having me on your program today, I would love to give all of your listeners uh, 15% off the, awesome. uh, and the, the system comes with the toolkit and the journal together. And so, yeah, if they put in, um, let's do THI, the health investment. So let's just do THI and that will give you automatic 15% discount. And um, while you're on the website, we do have a monthly newsletter. I don't like newsletters coming out every day or every week. So we're doing a, a monthly newsletter so they can also sign up for that as well if they would like. I would love that. Awesome. Thank you so much for that code. I always love special little gifts for my listeners <laughs> and I know they do as well. Um, and as you said, you may not need that, but I think how incredible would that be, especially if you're someone like me who unexpectedly breaks a bone and has a surgery and has all these medical bills coming in? I mean, it's really hard to keep them all organized in a yeah. way that makes sense and to keep track of everything. And it just causes you more stress and anxiety. So that is, I think, like the perfect package to buy. God forbid something unexpected happens and you're going to have a lot of medical bills, but then at least you have peace of mind knowing that you've got everything documented and organized. Gosh, and keep bro. it for four years. I, I learned the four year you, thing. I love how you just pulled that all together and put a bow on it. <laughs> well, I, I was a teacher for 12 years. I'm constantly like synthesizing things. And um, I think that's what you did in your dev system, right? So yes. it's, it's similarly like a synthesis to give us all easier organization and peace of mind. And especially at your weakest moments when right. you could really use some help. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, having that physical, we are in the process of doing a digital version of it, but the physical hand copy of it gives you, it's almost like, not that you're going to hug it, but it gives you something to hold on to and it gives you a sense of control. And yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I still love physical stuff. Like I still get physical books from the library. It's I'm not, I have a Kindle, but I like to oh, hold yeah. things in my hand. I just feel like the tangibleness of different things. Oh, yes. I and I, yes. And I'm probably dating myself, but you're a teacher. I still love to write in cursive. In fact, I can't print. I can only write in cursive. Uh, and nowadays they can't do cursive. They can only print. No, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Or yeah, typing replaced uh, really everything. It was handwriting and cursive. If I would give an assignment and expect you know, them to do a written assignment. I mean, the handwriting was atrocious. So oh, yeah. it was better just to require something typed because right. it saved me a lot of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. I learned a ton. I always learn from my guests, but I have to say this was all new knowledge to me. So I'm just very grateful for your time, Angel. And I know my audience will learn a ton as well. And I just look forward to staying connected off air. I would love that. Brooke, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. And if anybody needs anything, you just let me know. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.